0: IndieCast is presented by UpRox's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week. We review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we review the new album by Kurt Vile. My name is Stephen Hayden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He was the first person ever to make a BTS built to spill joke ian cohen
1: ian how are you yeah i'm also the first person to propose the jimmy Eat world gang of youth jew goy tour um oh. so, or or just to, or just to bring you know it's funny because jimmy Eat world has no jewish people in it. and i think dave from gang of youth is kind of jewish so it's kind of ironic yeah. to have those names but um see i feel like you could make that joke i, I can would,
0: i don't think i would feel comfortable even like if that was a tour i don't know if i would be comfortable just saying the name of the tour yeah as a gentile <laughs> i feel like i would need to be respectful of my jewish brothers and sisters uh and not reference that but that would be a great tour even beyond oh, yeah. the comedy
1: aspect yeah of it. absolutely it's better that than like the acronym you get from the jimmy Eat world saves the day tour so hey uh yeah i mean we're uh I, i'm I'm sort of just i'm hoping that you know maybe there's like a k-pop mastermind who's or maybe just like a movie where they make another uh boy band with like uh you know a name like ylt or g gbv just to just to really right. push the envelope of like en- enervating like 45 year old indie dudes
0: that would be amazing if there was a K-pop group called GBV. Yeah. I, I, my my head uh, would explode. Yeah, you know, we're, we're talking about Built to Spill because they have a new album that they announced this week. As all of the thirty-six to 40, forty-five year old indie <laughs> fan community, we you already know that there was like a there was a there was an alarm that went off uh, in all of your homes. Uh, the new record is called "When the Wind Forgets Your Name." It's out in September. Uh, which you know, look when <laughs> look Built to Spill they're uh i think we would both agree they're one of the all-time greats we we, we love them mm-hmm. i don't know I, I feel like i dabble in whatever new albums they put out and i always enjoy them but then i i don't revisit them yeah. but i'm glad they're making records i'm glad they're on the road mm-hmm. they're always a good live band but i have to say that the most enjoyment i get out of built the spill these days <laughs> is the bts built the spill jokes uh which is i think the ultimate indie dad joke oh yeah. Uh, like, it's the greatest indie dad joke of all time. I laugh every single time someone makes a BTS built to spill joke, like when BTS had their own McDonald's meal. Mm. I
1: don't
0: know if you remember that. I do. They had their own, they had their own meal, and people were like, you know, this meal is perfect from now on. Okay. And uh, you know, <laughs> you know, big news for Doug Marsh. I laughed at every single one of those tweets. I think I made my own BTS built to spill joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just. A simple pleasure of life. I, I I joked about this this week that when I'm on my deathbed, <laughs> and I'm, uh, about to leave this mortal coil, I will be making a BTS Built to Spill joke. It will be my dying words. I'm going to die as I live, <laughs> making a BTS. Hopefully that's many years from now, but yeah. uh, I look forward to that. It, it, I don't know. I just enjoy it. I enjoy it thoroughly. I hope it's not annoying to people. I, I but come on, you can't be just the the idea of conflating Doug Marsh with hyper popular k-pop i think is just comedy gold
1: yeah it's it's like a it's a more advanced version of like the postal service like getting sued by usps because like <laughs> oh yeah i can't, can't can't recall how many times like i wanted to send something through the mail and it ended up in ben gibberts hands but yeah <laughs> right. i i mean i i thought we were just talking about like build spill at the top of the episode because like you said we're 36 to 45 year old men and like yeah. you know you, you you get a couple of indie leaning uh people in that demographic together and like within the first five minutes they're going to talk about like the time they like first heard carry the zero in college but that's true um, that's true yeah i mean this is like a big news in our community yeah i mean that's the
0: other reason to lead with this is that a built the spill record in the indie cast world is a it's a bigger story
1: for us than it would be maybe on other <laughs> you know music podcasts that's right baby um, uh, my favorite little detail about this, you know, this new album, you know, besides the fact, you know, the song's kind of interesting. It's like, what I imagined the lemon twig sounding like it's kind of loud and glammy. There's a, there are two songs called rock steady and spider web on there and they're back to back. Um, and I think this is just indicative of like built to spill kind of existing in this a- as a satellite from pop culture that they probably don't recognize that they have like two no doubt references back to back on the album. Yeah. You know, one of us needs to interview doug marsh to ask him about this i want to ask him
0: about the bts thing yeah he should be asked about the no doubt thing because that seems like it's such a weird coincidence (laughs) that that would happen but i also can't imagine doug marsh ever listening to no doubt you know like if he uh
1: does he have kids i mean maybe in the car i don't know yeah maybe I, I you know do you think like when
0: he was trying to make perfect from now on that he like threw on tragic Kingdom <laughs> as inspiration you know that I'm looking for something that will guide me
1: on this record, <laughs> you know, let's throw on tragic Kingdom, yeah, he seems to be like uh, be more of a return to Saturn type guy <laughs> uh. Do they have an album called Rocksteady? Is that the one from the yes, early Yes, they do. That's the one with Hey okay. Baby on there, which is uh, like one of the one worst one, songs. I hate that. Like, I think I brought that up during our previous episode where we talked about like the, our least favorite songs of all time. But yeah, Rocksteady was, that was like kind of the bridge uh, to Gwen Stefani's solo career. So, right, because like Hollaback Girl is, yeah. is solo yeah, right? Hollaback Girl is indeed solo. Uh, underneath it all is No Doubt. That's a pretty decent right. song. Well, like Hollaback Girl,
0: I like that song. That's that's okay. the Neptunes, right? The Neptunes. Did I that.
1: think so. Yeah.
0: Or like or like Pharrell, I think it's on that song. Yeah, but anyway. that makes sense. Um, we need to talk about yeah. uh, the indie feud of the week, which I think is more of like a skirmish. Yeah, it's a it's a kerfluffle, but it, it it's between Kississippi, yeah. who is a Philadelphia-based singer-songwriter, and uh, Better Oblivion Community Center, the supergroup. Of Connor Oberst and Phoebe Bridgers, who I wonder—are they making a record? Is this part of their promotion? That there was a little clapback because they hadn't tweeted, I think, from that account since twenty two years, <laughs> yeah, yeah, until this week. Because Kississippi, I'm gonna I'm gonna cue this up here. Uh, this is from friend of the podcast Miranda over at uh, Endless Scroll, yeah, the other indie rock podcast, yeah. the only other one, because I think. She screenshotted this, and it's how it came to my attention, and yeah. probably a lot of people's attention. But Mississippi <laughs> tweeted this week: Can someone please tell Connor Oberst to stop wearing skate shoes? <laughs> Which I wonder, like, what inspired that initial tweet? I, yeah, was, was would I didn't even this know guy, that was a this thing. This guy
1: made lifted. Let him wear whatever shoes he wants. You know what I mean? Does he
0: wear? I, I didn't. I've never looked at Connor Oberst's feet, so <laughs> I wasn't aware of his shoes. I, that's just me, though. I'm not very fashion fashion conscious. I guess some people would notice that. But is that something he was known for, wearing Uh, skate shoes? I I have
1: no. I consider myself like a pretty uh, adroit scholar of the Connor Oberst uh, world, like up to and including his dress code. And I've never known Connor Oberst to be particularly drawn to skate shoes. I wouldn't even know how to recognize skate shoes. So maybe I'm the wrong person to ask here.
0: I mean, this is why Elon Musk is trying to buy Twitter <laughs> for forty-one billion dollars because of random thoughts like this. I yeah. mean, I've had random thoughts like this too. Yeah, you have a thought that comes in your head and you just tweet it. I just wonder, like, what led to the thought of I'm really irritated that Connor Obers wears skate shoes. Or
1: just amused that Connor Obers is wearing skate shoes. I don't know. He's he's a forty-one year old guy. I mean, like, come on. Yeah, I mean, look, or forty-two. I- sorry connor oberst i i
0: you know I've never talked to him, I don't know uh, him that well, but you know as a I'm around his age, and I feel like we have a similar fashion sense where we f- we decided how we were gonna dress when we were about eighteen years old, and we haven't really changed like <laughs> we just kind of wear the same clothes forever, like I'm wearing jeans and like band t shirts all the time, and we're you know Connor Oberst is in a career where you can do that, and I'm in a career fortunately where you you can get away with that so i he probably wore skate shoes in the nineties and he's still wearing them now. Cause it's like, who cares? I, I like them. I'm not going to change all that much. So anyway, this is like kind of a weird tweet, but it's an innocuous tweet. Yeah. Then better oblivion community center. Someone, someone. who's operating that. We don't know who that's like part of the conspiracy theory of this. We yeah. don't know who said this, but they tweet back. Can someone please tell kissy bitch their words, not mine yeah, to please stop making shitty songs. It's boring word spelled w e r d right yes and then ps they're not skate shoes <laughs> <laughs> they're not skate shoes they're y3s fuck you
1: hell yeah <laughs> what are y3s uh, See, they're I, apparently a type of skate shoe or no okay. hold on they are i'm just going to look this shit up um yeah, they, they up. cost so, but... about $250 they're yoji wow. yamamoto Uh, one of Adidas shoes. Um, yeah, I don't know. These are kind of sick shoes. I'm not going to front. They're also $300. So.
0: Okay. So, so so takes a shot at, uh, Mississippi songwriting and then (laughs) does the postscript to clarify the, these aren't just regular skate shoes. They're very expensive and fashionable shoes. And then you add the fuck you at the end. Yeah. Not, Uh, not a good look. Not a good look. Punishment and, does know, not the, fit the crime. And you know, like when this when this broke yes. on Twitter, this skirmish, there were people who assumed that it was Connor Oh well, Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, it's I mean of, it kind of does, because you think like they're making fun of Connor Oberst directly. And Conor Oberst right. has a history of kind of erratic behavior.
0: Yeah, but he, he but he doesn't strike me as a Twitter guy.
1: No, I I've, I've interviewed him. I've taught like I've interviewed him. I've read his interviews, and you know, people I know who are just kind of in the Conor Oberst orbit have pretty much like given me the impression that this guy does not know how to use Twitter.
0: No, no, and uh, yeah, it's so. And I also don't think he would say kissy bitch. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he would demean a woman no. that way it strikes me as something that a woman would say to a woman
1: huh. right, more than a man to well people, or at least people also a woman. thought that it might have been like uh, phoebe bridgers kind of going right. undercover so that well, was that's
0: the next that's the next sus. yeah like, the... so, so if you're gonna rule out counter which i think we are yeah let's rule him out so it'd be phoebe bridgers but i also feel like you know she's pretty savvy with social media yeah. it doesn't seem like she would do something like this either
1: it's a real punching down sort of thing you know what i mean like i mean not i think that like kississippi is not like it is similar enough at least to have like maybe a little bit of an overlap of fan base with phoebe bridgers but i don't know phoebe Bridgers is also like friends with everyone so i imagine that like this is a little out of character although it'd be kind of not interesting. Like I don't like it. W- it would just be kind of add a character in a way that would be intriguing for our purposes if uh, Phoebe Bridger started beefing with other artists.
0: Yeah, I mean she's you know she's taking shots at people like David Crosby. Yeah, exactly on on, on Twitter, which um you know she's who has David Crosby <laughs> at this point, but that does and feel more like in. yeah yeah exactly like these old white guys yeah. you know who are very easy targets. You can you can uh, pants them on Twitter and everyone's gonna enjoy it. Um, but going after like another female artist who isn't as popular as you, I don't think she would do that. So that means that there is a rogue actor in the Better Oblivion Community Center community lashing out at people. And apparently this was like
1: early in the morning or really late at night. Yeah. Like first thing Monday morning, that's what I woke up to.
0: I think it was like 5am Pacific time or something. So either someone had just woken up or they were having a really crazy night and we maybe you know maybe they should have been in bed. Yeah. Um one of the two. Uh so again this is a skirmish not a full-fledged feud. Yeah. I think I can say that having written a book about musical rivalries. Unless again, you know, maybe this kicks off some sort of extended <laughs> animosity and this maybe this will be the thing that really breaks Kississippi. Yeah. You know, like this is this will be you know, the entree into the mainstream yeah. that Mississippi has been looking for.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I've, like, kind of heard, like, low-key. This might have been, like, Conor versus Connor like, girlfriend tweeting, which, I mean, do you want, would you want, like, your, like, A, would you give your wife your Twitter password? And B, like, would you want her, like, coming to your defense if, I don't know, what some musician started, like, clapping at you? Probably not, but I think my wife would be a lot smarter about (laughs) social media use
0: than I am. I think it would, I think it would actually be worse in the reverse. If I, if I had control of her social media and I was responding to her haters, although she doesn't have any. haters, I have all the haters. She has no haters. (laughs) Um, so, but anyway, I think she'd be more responsible than me. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the new 100 GEX.
1: Yeah, look, we single. we are like gradually going from like old men stuff, like Built to Spill, to like kind of quasi like Gen Z Phoebe Bridger stuff, and now 100 GEX. We are Benjamin Buttoning this episode. Yeah, their new single is called Doritos and Fritos. I like both those. <laughs> and was was there a new album announced
0: with this, or is this just like a standalone? I, single? I feel
1: as if this album. I, I'm I'm told it's from the album uh, A Thousand or ten thousand gets oh, whatever it's that's called right. uh right. i don't think there's a release date set for it but i mean there's already been like you know like big cover stories on it and so this album exists when it's coming i don't know um but i would imagine by the end of this year yeah and what do you think is the status of this group right now because
0: i guess they first emerged it was before 2019 the lockdown it was 2019 yeah. so we're three years out now of them being a phenomenon, which is kind of weird. I mean, you know, the, the lockdown years. I don't know if those are less than normal years or like more than normal years. It's such like a weird twilight zone that you know that that period of time. Uh-huh. But um, is it fair to say that like this group already feels kind of dated? Yeah, in a way. I feel like they were so of their of their moment we've moved on from that moment or or are we still in that moment? I don't know. Yeah.
1: It it reminds me of that like drill tweet about, um, you know, turning a big dial that says racism on it for audience approval that often gets attributed to like the Democratic Party. But um, yeah, I I, I sense with like this group and music writers that they – no one really quite knows where to land on them right now because, you know, I think there's a bit of a makeup call that needs – that needed to happen because – they you know explode in 2019 i think they're very much a definitive artist from that era and also just because of the nature of the music they make which is like kind of crazy mashup pre-hyper pop that they already seem like they're like a classic rock band uh in the hyper in the hyper pop community and i think that no one is quite sure whether to like say to like establish them as this like generational act or a band that seems a little bit dated but yeah because they seem like a group where being
0: dated is like baked into what they do i mean because just that scene it's so constantly changing yeah it's and being a legacy act almost seems antithetical to the kind of music that they make it's you know that you should just appear and then disappear yeah you know, if you are sort of a pure version of this you know i was thinking You know, when we were going to talk about 100 gecks, I I started thinking about Skrillex. Oh. The Skrillex phenomenon, which was about 10 years ago. Okay. At this point. And, like, how, you know, there was a period of time, like, where uh, Skrillex and dubstep, that was going to change music forever. Like, that was the discourse in music criticism. And what happened was, is that the influence of dubstep was just absorbed into pop music. It became something else that pop could draw on, and it made a lot of dubstep redundant, or at least it didn't seem like its own discernible genre. And I'm sure if there's any dubstep heads out there, they probably think I'm full of shit right now. You you could tell me I'm wrong in the emails uh, in our mailbag. But, I mean, that's just my sense as, like, a casual observer and like where is Skrillex by the way is he like on a beach somewhere just chilling because he made a bunch of money and uh or is he like is he doing private shows I, I've not heard anything from him in a while I don't know maybe he's
1: like preparing for his like Rick Rubin uh like American <laughs> recordings type uh, uh type deal but
0: you know you like he's up- gonna do like a he's gonna do like a stripped down acoustic record, yeah like Machine Gun Kelly or something <laughs>
1: yeah like when, you know, you, know uh, you brought up Skrillex to me like this new this this second album of Hundred Gex reminds me of like the second Girl Talk album where it was still like pretty good, but again it's just, it's this whole thing about like laundering quote uncool influences for people who would otherwise like not touch that stuff with a with a ten foot pole and you know the my issue with this is that it just seems very difficult to find people who are like enjoying it for what it is there just seems to be like this like horse race kind of writing that goes on where you try to like prognosticate trends as opposed right. to like taking the music as opposed forward.
0: to hashing out trends
1: yeah we're into hashing out trends that means like the trend like you can hash it out in the present
0: not going forward yeah, exactly. the The difference is that we are hashing out the trends that have arrived, whereas progni the, the prognostication that you're talking about that's like predicting what is going to be big. Yeah, the the and
1: Jimothyification I, of music, if you will.
0: Yes, and that's my least favorite form yeah. of of music writing. You know, that's how you end up with like the New York Times doing profiles of like country music's next emo rap star. Yeah, you know, like who was that by the way? Jimith? Was re- that
1: Jimith? No, that wasn't Jimothy. Jimothy is British. Oh. I don't think he's country music. It was somebody uh, else. But like, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna, you're going to Google that? Yeah, Kid G, Kid G. Kid G, yeah,
0: Kid G. You end up with stuff like that where you're just looking for like the most sort of novelty thing you can find. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the thing that changes music. And I think in reality, like music actually doesn't change that much. No. As much as we think. I mean, there are these, again, novelty things that that bubble up. But for the most part, I mean, people are looking for good songs played in a relatively straightforward kind of way. I mean, I feel like that is still the formula that most people respond to. It's not something that is, you know, super high concept. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious. I mean, you know, I've enjoyed listening to 100 Gex in the past. Mm. But like you, I I do tend to find that it's music that it seems to be discussed in terms of like what people think it will become rather than what Mm. it is which is a really kind of weird thing or weird way to approach music let's get to our mailbag segment here and we have a lot of emails in our mailbag so we are doing two questions Mm. today uh, or two letters today uh but keep the letters coming in i I, we're probably going to do an all mailbag episode later this month because it gets a little lean on new releases Mm -hmm. going into April. So hit us up. We want to hear from you. IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. Uh, Do you want to read our
1: first... uh, Yeah, I I do, as a matter of fact. So this comes from Juan in Mexico City. Awesome. Yeah, originally from Nicaragua. Big fan of the podcast. Uh, This is Juan talking now. I still agree with Ian's take in the current Pitchfork review about Kevin Parker being the most underrated bass player of the 21st century. But anyway... Wow. uh, Wow, deep cut. Yeah, we can just stop right here. Now, his question is, what do you guys think about when people get scared or thrown off by screaming vocals? How long should that period be where you were like, I totally don't like this style of singing? Uh, and he wonders whether people should give it some time or how, what our process was for getting into screaming initially. Because when I was younger, it was not my thing. But now I listen to more stuff like that, i.e. the new Soul Glow, which is kind of like getting used to eating spicy food. Ah, that's yeah. a good analogy from Juan.
0: Yeah. Juan, by the way, Mexico City, have we had a Mexico City listener yet Uh, this might be i don't know
1: but man that's might be the first one yeah i i I was there a couple years ago fucking love that place i gotta get to mexico city everyone that i know who has been there says
0: it's a great city and uh also maybe our first nicaraguan yes letter writer so thank you juan yeah for uh for for hooking us up so he's asking about screaming vocals yeah and (laughs) he's probably asking like how we both feel about screaming vocals and you could probably guess how we feel about it based on the kind of music that we write about yeah. and cover. Um, so, I don't know, do you want to break this down first? Because I, I feel like you are probably the more screamy yeah. one of the of the two of us.
1: Yeah, I mean, just by the nature of the music I, I review and listen to, I've developed a much bigger lexicon to describe screaming. Uh, because, you know, I'm like, you know, talking about like Bubba Gump Shrimp. Uh, you know, there's black metal screaming, screamo screaming, which is a little more melodic. There's hectoring, which is more of like a McLusky or Pup sort of screaming. There's like the emo pop sort of screaming, but also a revival. Um, and then one of my favorites, which is the kind of screaming that indie bands do at one point, And when they get popular, they stop doing that. You know, like the National, the Walkman on the Rat. Um, and I also like how Juana compared it to Spicy Foods because there is like kind of a Scoville scale where like you talk about like levels of spiciness. But, um, You know, like I, as much as I love music that, you know, is fixates on screaming, I also understand why people don't like this. Anytime someone starts screaming, it just immediately limits the social utility of music. For example, like I can't play it in the office for sure. Um, whenever I'm driving, uh, in the car with my wife, I have to like kind of pre-screen any mix I'm putting on to see if there's any screaming on it. Cause if not <laughs> like Idlewild was a little too spicy for her taste, and you know, she'll admit that. So, um, I get the pe- I, I, I I I think you just have to kind of be in a mood for it because it enhances that mood rather than creates a mood. But the thing about it is that, like, for some people, it's just, like, I don't think music should do this. This is aggravating. For me, if, like, I hear there's a certain type of, like, Phoebe Bridgers knockoff slash Mac DeMarco knockoff type voice, which to me is more, like, I got to turn this shit off right now, uh, (laughs) aggravating to my ears than, like, anything off Sunbather. So I think it is a self-selecting sort of thing i can't tell anyone like hey you know try out maybe this kind of screaming like you know it's a level one and then maybe work your way up to you know orchid or things like that
0: yeah you know for me i will say that i've definitely uh like lost tolerance for screaming vocals as i've gotten older as one does i think i
1: don't Juan, I hate to say it Juan is different though Juan is saying that he's Juan, gotten yeah.
0: more into it well, we don't know how old Juan is. I mean, Juan might still be in his twenties, or I don't know if he's in his forties or anything. But I, I've gotten a little less tolerant, and you know, there's one band, one in band. particular who broke me.
1: One band uh, who broke Steve. And,
0: I, and I'm not going to say who it is because uh. I, I, you know, there. I don't want to take any shots at them, but like they broke me because a lot of screaming vocals, and to me, you know, screaming to me should be musical, like it shouldn't be a crutch because you have a shitty voice because I do think that there are screamers who actually have like really good voices and they have good screaming voices mm. and it works well. But I also think that there's bands where the singer just has a shitty voice. And I'm not just saying that they can't sing because there's a lot of singers I like who can't sing, but, the singers I like who can't sing have a cool voice. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the sound of their voice. You know, like Matt Berninger of The National. I don't know if he's, like, a great singer, but I like his voice. Nah, he's a great singer. But this one band in particular just broke me, and they're, like, in the sort of emo <laughs> world. And it made it hard for me not to only, like, like that band, but, like, to, like, other bands of that ilk. Because it just, like, a lot of emo bands that I like now tend to have female singers who can actually sing. I mean, that that that's what i personally gravitate more to than like the sort of like yelpy hectoring male singers Mm. i've just i'm in a phase right now where that's not connecting with me maybe that'll come back because i i like that for a long time and that but lately i just can't get into that um i tend to like like in terms of screaming vocals the, the the kind or the style that i like the most because like you said there's lots of different styles of screaming i tend to like the more like atmospheric type screaming, if that makes sense, where it's almost like another instrument mm. in the music, uh, which is how I would describe Deaf Heaven. Okay. You know, like you you reference Sunbather, and I feel like the screaming on there, it's almost like another guitar uh-huh. in in the mix of the music. And that, to me, is easier to get my head around than something that is maybe, like, screaming, like, vocals. Mm. You know, that, again, that more sort of hectoring-type delivery, I think, gets on my nerves a little bit. But, I, but I'll say, you know, the, the thing with screaming... And there's no pun intended here, but like my problem with it tends to be that it's a little one note. You know, not musically, but emotionally. You know, because you're conveying a really intense emotionalism with screaming. That's the point of it. Like you're you're expressing extreme anger or extreme sadness or extreme whatever. And you're starting at 11. And to listen to a whole record of that, I think, can just be a little much. Like I I tend to prefer screaming when it's in the context of regular singing so like you start quiet and then you scream mm. you get that sense of dynamics you know a very obvious example is kurt cobain at the end of the unplugged record you know where did you sleep last night when he screams at the end of that song it's really powerful because he's singing so quietly at the beginning so i feel like that is the sweet spot for me if if you're going to scream i also want to contrast with it mm. so it really hits hard mm. You know if that makes sense. Hmm.
1: What 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 am I to say? Because like for me, it's like you know that the the like the chill voice is just like it. It just does the same thing to me where it's just like I. I can tune it out, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the other opposite of, of the extreme, that if it's someone who's just the chill yeah. thing, maybe that's a little boring. Or if you know, I but hear I tend another to... 90s alt-rock type voice coming back, whether it's like quasi Third Eye Blind or quasi Veruca Salt, it's like that to me is like, yeah, I'm just going to turn it off immediately.
0: I mean, I think the uh, uh, the overall our overarching point here is yeah. that you just need a distinctive voice. Yes. You know, whether you're screaming or you're singing, if it's something that's distinctive and also musical, mm. that's that's a sweet spot. And, you know, people, there's, there are singers who scream, and it can be beautiful, mm. you know? And there's other singers who scream, and it's really annoying, and you want to shut it off immediately. Uh, so, you know, that's the thing. So it, it's like any other kind of vocal. Yeah. Let's get to our next uh, letter here. Uh, this is from JT in Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. And I'll read this one. He says, I'm a big fan of the pod and listen every Friday. Additionally, I've read Stephen's last three books and pre-ordered the Pearl Jam book. JT, thank you for the plug. My book, Long Road, Pearl Jam and the Soundtrack of a Generation, out September 27th. You can pre-order now. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on the metal band Ghost. They are one of the most polarizing bands in the metal scene. And I don't believe I've heard them mentioned on the show. I don't think we've mentioned them either. No. Um I realize they aren't remotely indie, but they fall somewhere in between the peripheries of Ian Cohencore <laughs> and Stephen Heidencore. Uh, their latest album, Imp- Impura, Imp- uh, sh- Impera, I-M-P-E-R-A, is that. basically a classic 80s rock album and seems to be getting positive reviews. What are your thoughts on the band's sound, imagery, and overall
1: vibe? Thank you, JT, for uh, that,
0: that letter. So he's asking us about Ghost. Have you listened to Ghost
1: at all? they're they're kind of a blind spot for me i saw them one time live and it was like at 2 30 in the afternoon at coachella like just 100 degrees complete sunlight and they're up there and they're kind of like uh quasi satanic ritual garb like that's kind of their gimmick and i you know i say gimmick lovingly but um that you know I, to kind of paraphrase Mo Sislak, I'm like a ghost well-wisher in that I don't wish them any specific harm. Like, I think it's good when rock bands are popular and, you know, it's interesting to call them like polarizing because to me, they always give me the sense of being like one of those Grammy metal bands, you know what I mean? Where it's like Gohira and like Latter-day Mastodon and Slipknot, like bands that are like 10 years in and super popular And that's when they get their first nomination. Then they get nominated for the next 20 years. There's like an air of like prestige to them in a weird way. So I mean, I think I think a lot of musicians like them
0: and, uh, you know, probably like radio programmers like them. So, yeah, I I, I could see them
1: being in that slot for sure. So it dawned on me, it's like I've never actually listened to them. Like I I, kind of have a a sense of what they do. So in the interest of, you know, because we do the legwork here at IndieCast. Um, I just went to Spotify, found some of their most popular songs, gave them a spin. Like, I mean, some of these songs have like 30 million, a hundred million plays. Um, and what surprised me is just how I want to say melodic, but they just sound to me like a kind of a lame British new wave of heavy metal band. Like, I mean, I've not, I'm not like an expert on like Judas Priest or Iron Maiden or any of those, but, um, When you listen to it without the visual, you just understand like how important the visual is because it's not like the darkness where it's, you know, kind of like played up hair metal and there's like a real like, um, you know, a pop craftsmanship behind it. It just sounds to me like something you would hear in like heavy metal parking lot. uh, And I'm like, this is. like this uh, this will do nothing for me you know what I mean like I don't mind like I have nothing against them because they're just so outside of my orbit but like I don't hear this and think oh yeah people should listen to this aside from like the spectacle of their music
0: yeah you know I I
1: actually disagree
0: with you a little bit I I actually think they are like a pretty well-crafted uh like melodic and I'll say pop group. I think, you know, it, it's funny. Like, when JT wrote his email, he put the word metal in quote marks oh. <laughs> when describing ghosts, because um, I actually don't think they sound all that metal. There, no, there's, not at there's all. There's songs that I've heard by ghosts that almost remind me of, like, power pop with, like, slightly metal-sounding guitars. Like, the vocals are very, uh, you know... Clean. Uh, yeah, very clean and kind of, you know, I'm looking for the right word, like... Uh, kind of sugary you know like they're very sweet sounding vocals very again melodic uh you know hooks uh in the choruses you know and some of the songs almost reminded me of like you know like cheap trick albums from the 80s more than like iron maiden or Judas Priest. and that's a compliment by the way I, i love cheap trick one of the great bands certainly one of the great midwestern bands of all time um so i think that's also key to their popularity because they have the visual element that is very metal but musically it's actually i think pretty accessible yeah uh, you know we were talking about screaming vocals before you know even compared to something like mastodon like ghost is like way more melodic. oh absolutely you know? and way way cleaner sounding than like any other kind of metal band that has any kind of traction um uh, you know, in the scene today, yeah. Um, and and, but I do think you know, t- t- to your point, that the key to this band's popularity is their live show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember I saw them like a long time ago, probably about ten years ago, when they were still playing venues. I think the the room I was in held like a thousand people, so like a relatively small venue compared to what they play now. I don't know if they're are they in arenas. I don't know if they're in arena think band. So. I know they maybe
1: not arenas, but like the two 2000- thousand one like the at least 1000 cap rooms yeah i would think they would be like 2 to 5000 yeah
0: venue and they've opened a lot of I, I know they've opened for like metallica and you know they've opened for some
1: like huge i imagine the uh, foo fighters would have you know back in the day would have had them I, this sounds like this seems like a band that dave grohl would love on general principle
0: but uh you know i thought the live show was like a lot of fun i mean yeah. they're, you know the, the other thing about ghost is that they, there is a sense of humor to them they they there there's something knowingly campy about how they present themselves. It's very theatrical. Yeah. And uh, I agree that like, I think the records are, are are pretty good, but if you can actually see them live, it just elevates it. And I think it makes it a lot more appealing. So, you know, to get back to the original question, like I'm not a huge Ghost fan, but I enjoyed seeing them live. And if someone gave me a ticket and wanted to go out on a Saturday night to see Ghost, I think that'd be a great time. So I, I would definitely be be down to see them again. So, uh, you know, salute to Ghost like you don't love you but yeah. you know glad you exist so let's get to the meat of our episode here uh, tr- a big transition <laughs> from ghost to kurt vile uh there's a new album out today i've heard this described as the ninth kurt vile record but that's if you count the courtney barnett album that he made in uh 2017 lot of sea lice i'm counting it as his eighth solo album Ooh. uh because i feel like the courtney barnett thing it's like a separate yes. category but anyway deep into Kurt Vile's career it's called Watch My Moves um i did an interview with Kurt Vile this week that you can read on uprocks.com we talked about this record but it was a review your catalog uh column mm. so we talked about Smoke Ring for My Halo Waking on a Pretty Days uh Childish Prodigy right. believe I'm going down all the all the classics from the past um and now he's with this record and you know it was funny cuz you and i were talking this week about you know what we're going to talk about on the podcast and you frame this as a comeback record for Kurt Vile which I thought was interesting because I I don't necessarily think of it as a comeback for yeah. him but I understand what you mean because you know there was a time in the mid 2010s or maybe more early 2010s like where he was like a pretty big indie star and now he's kind of drifted more into like sort of cult hero mm-hmm. territory and I think that's been like a deliberate move yeah. I mean I also think it's due to him you know being a singer-songwriter in his forties. I mean, that's something that just happens to you as you get older. Uh but he's moved in more I think a in a more esoteric direction. Like he's not I think when he rose to indie fame, it was because he was writing songs like Baby's Arms hmm. and Pretty Pimpin. Uh, Waking on a Pretty Day, uh, you know, songs that earned him comparisons to people like Tom Petty and Bruce Springsteen because they were these very hooky, denim-clad, you know, rock singles that you could play over and over again and not get sick of. And he's not really writing those kinds of songs anymore. uh, Which, for some people, might mean that they don't care about him as much. I feel differently about that, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on because i feel like you've drifted away from kurt vile yeah
1: it's it's it because it, it, kurt vile has like always been kurt vile and i think that's been that was one of the through lines of the interview that you did i just love how he like ends certain phrase like deep record uh or it's like this one's <laughs> underrated in pitchfork terms um but yeah back in the day like i just assume maybe because of his name and the lo-fi uh nature of his music that he was just like kind of uh kind of a Jay Retard sort of uh, guy. And, you know, that's the sort of music I care very little about. But um, uh, with Smoke Ring for my Halo, uh, yeah, that that just hits the sweet spot for me because I think it's just got some of the best guitar. To, like if I was making a record, I would point to that one and be like, hey, that's the guitar sound I want. And you're right in that it has his um, sort of like chill dude, but sort of Tom Petty like out of like man out of time type uh perspective but in like pretty tight songs um and you know waking on a pretty days took that to more expansive sounds and you know I loved both of those records and maybe we've talked about this on previous ones but believe I'm going down I can't remember the last time a record came out from an artist that didn't like ex- like didn't just change the sound completely but I just hated it so much compared to what came before. Like I just had like this allergic reaction because I don't know, maybe it was just like where I was at at the time, but it felt like at that point it was like Kurt Vile, like doing a caricature of Kurt Vile. Like it just became like songs about the character of Kurt Vile rather than something that felt like as, I don't know, uh, emotional or whatever. And then from that point going forward, it was just like, uh, he, I, I'm like, eh, I could take or leave it. But with this one, I mean, I, I call it a comeback in the sense that maybe like, is like a renewed interest in what's going on with him. But it's sort of like with Jack White and J- father, John Misty from the previous episode where, um, I don't see them as being a barometer for what's going on in indie rock as a whole. It's something I could take on its own terms. Um, and I can come back with like maybe a refreshed interest in Kurt Vile's music. I I mean, that's what I mean by comeback.
0: Yeah. I, I I know what you mean. You know, it, it's interesting because it's hard not to compare Kurt Vile to the war on drugs Um, because (laughs) obviously he was in the war on drugs, uh, him and Adam, uh, especially in the aughts, they had a really strong friendship where they're influencing each other a lot. And of course, you know, Adam played on smoke ring for my halo and, um, Mm. childish prodigy. Uh, but that was a, a around the point where they started to split off because the war on drugs started to catch on. You know, the slave ambient came out that year, and of course, lost in the dream a few years after that, and they were they were off. And it, it's fascinating to compare the contrasting mm. uh, approaches of of Kurt Vile and Adam Grandusio because Adam, with each war on drugs record, it gets a little bit bigger sounding, a little bit slicker. Yeah, you can you can see them. Uh, really engaging with the mainstream in a way that Kurt Weil seemed to be doing, or at least moving toward that. I think Believe I'm Going Down was maybe his version of of doing that. You know, that's the album that has Pretty Pimpin' on it, which is still his biggest song. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a, that album was,
1: book. like, kind of popular for real.
0: Yeah, and, you know, Pretty Pimpin' is a song, like, you will hear that in the CVS. That's, like, yes, the one exactly. song song that, that's really broken through. Uh, but then the last two records it really feels like he's deliberately moved away from that. And I don't know if that has anything to do with him, you know, not wanting to be locked in into some sort of like industry role. I feel like it's not as uh, premeditated as that. It just seems like he's lost interest Mm -hmm. maybe in writing those kind of, you know, concise jams that, that, that catch on. He's really drifted into this style where he favors like this kind of like minimalist type of songwriting where it rides a groove for eight nine ten minutes yeah. and it's not the same as waking on a pretty day which had a lot of long songs on it yeah. that was more of like a, a of a guitar record and it, it felt more like a classic rock album in a lot of ways his his latest records like bottle it in in this new one watch my moves it doesn't sound like jazz but it has a jazz like feel to it mm. and you know there's a lot of synths on it yeah um the vocals are um, even for Kurt Vile, you know, it's not, it's it's a little more drifty, it's a little more dreamy, hmm. and um, you know, when I interviewed him, he talked about how he he's anticipating people not really getting into this record right away. That if you have to spend some time with it in order to like really kind of wrap your head around it, and it's I think also, also seventy five minutes. I think we should well, make that yeah, point. <laughs> it's long, but you know, i I really like the record a lot. Right. I appreciate what he's done. I understand that. Uh, This isn't necessarily like what, you know, if you love Smoke Ring from My Halo and Waking Out of Pretty Days, like this is maybe not the kind of record you're going to want. You're going to want those great, again, catchy jams with cool guitar solos on it. Mm. But um, I still feel that like the direction he's taken, it shows him growing in his own way, but it's also emphatically him. Mm. And it's such a unique vibe that only he has Mm -hmm. where it's this melancholy lace with like goofball humor Mm -hmm. um that as a fan of Kurt Vile I really like I'm glad that he's making records like this um but yeah it, it just seems like that sort of like war on drugs type breakthrough is not something that's going to happen for him, and and in some way that feels deliberate yeah. on his part. What I want
1: though is, god, I, I would just love, and I don't think this could possibly happen given the personalities of the people involved. But if like for some reason Kurt Vile and the War on Drugs started beefing, oh my god, <laughs> See, boy, gonna, that would spice things up a bit. Because yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say I, I would love to, I would love like for Kurt
0: and Adam to like make an EP together. I think that would be really cool. Like if there was some sort of reunion, mm. uh, their own Better Oblivion Community Center type <laughs> thing.
1: Would they punch down at like Wild Pink or something like that in like the version of like the uh, the Better Oblivion Community Kississippi beef? I don't know. I, I I wouldn't want them to beef. That would make me sad yeah. if, if they lashed out. I, I like them
0: having these parallel careers and, uh, you know, sort of – Zigzagging, you know, between each other. I, you know, I mean, there was that Mark Kozlik War on Drugs oh, God. <laughs> uh, feud that went on that I don't think the War on Drugs ever responded to. No. It was just Mark Kozlik making yeah. fun of them for a long time, and the War on Drugs smartly just waited for Mark Kozlik to self-destruct. Yeah. Uh, and he took himself out. <laughs> so, you know, that So that was wise on on, on their part. But, uh, yeah, I mean, again, Kurt Bell, he he it's funny that we we have this run of artists, you know, as you mentioned, Father John, Misty last week, Jack White, Kurt vile they're all kind of in the same place. And I'm a fan of all of them. Um, but yeah, they're all sort of like, they feel disconnected from the larger indie world, yeah. which may not be a bad thing, but like they're definitely in their own spheres. Yeah, and I
1: think that's like kind of where what Kurt Vile was going for, anyway. I mean, as far back as like Waking on a Pretty days, like you know just writing about like fatherhood and their own bemusement at like you know their reputation or just like the image they painted for themselves as a as a chill dude. But you know, like with this record, it's like to me, um, like I kind of want to like him, but. Uh, I also like the fact that in the like Exploding Stones video, he has the same Casio keyboard I had when I was like ten years old, getting that kind of uh, Zeppelin "All My Love" sound. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I think I'm already over the indie uh, the indie uh, a listers making 75 minute albums in uh, 2022. So, like as far
0: as believe I'm going down is concerned, because I'm I'm intrigued by your oh, yeah. hatred of this record because I do think that's one of his best records mm-hmm. personally but uh, but I also feel like that is an album where he starts like referencing himself yeah. more than like on previous records it, w- was that the threshold that was breached that you're just like, I-, I can't do this It just
1: seems to and I know boy, I'm gonna like rub some rub, rub some people the wrong way with this one but it reminds me of like Latter Day the National where it seems more like the national as played by the national rather than like, you know, Matt Berninger, like excavating these, uh, darks, darks, like the dark hour of the night type things. I mean, and of course, like maybe this is my own projection in the sense that like I've aged along with them and maybe they just don't provide what I want anymore. But there was one song in that album, like that's life though, or something like that, that I'm just like, you know what? I'm fucking done here. It's, it's, (laughs) it just that that's life though. Almost hate to say, uh, and he used the word chillax. And, I mean, it, it it sounds so, so, like, just so pissy to say it. Like, I, I don't know how I could get this mad about Kurt Vile.
0: But the thing is, though, is that I don't think that's an affectation. Like, if you talk to him, that's how he talks, you know? <laughs> he, like, he is that guy. I don't think it's a character. I think, you know, and he said this in my, in the interview that we did, that he feels that as he's progressed that he's felt, more and more comfortable in his personality and letting his personality infuse the music and and taking like a more sort of naturalistic approach to songwriting rather than, you know, stressing out about it, like letting songs come to you, like a very Zen type perspective Mm -hmm. on being an artist. And I think that is an extension of that, you know, so I, I understand what you mean, even though I don't agree with you. But I, I wouldn't say it's an affectation. Nah. I think like like if you if you talk to him, it's like no, that's how he talks. <laughs> you know, it's just like like, like Kurt Vile is Kurt Vile twenty four seven. Even when he's sleeping, he sleeps like Kurt Vile. We now I'll reach the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first?
1: Yeah, talking about screaming, uh, we got the new Prince Daddy and the Hyena album, which is boy, that is a real acquired taste of a vocal. Um, actually, they've uh, this uh, this band has gotten a vocal, the same vocal coach that Pup works with, uh, to kind of uh, shave down the more grating uh, areas of his vocals. So. It's a self-titled album. It's their, I believe, their third. This is a band who, if you had been to just about any emo or pop punk uh, adjacent shows since, let's say, 2016, you've seen a P. Daddy uh, hoodie. Uh, that is one of the iconic pieces of clothing uh, in this scene. But, um, you know, in their past couple of albums, they've gone from being like kind of the definitive weed emo band, like making songs about like, you know, broccoli and cheese and like pizza to... Writing these concept records about, uh, you know, the last one, Cosmic Thrill Seekers, was kind of like the meaning of life, and this one is about death in a way. Like they had a nearly catastrophic van incident. Um, the singer Corey Gregory had a, um, had like what you know, he talks about being uh, in treatment for about uh, a month, and this album like has it still has the core of being a kind of Weezer influenced, like catchy alt rock. Uh record, but it's kind of kitted out with more like Beach Boy harmonies there's some Madchester stuff going on. There's some like Brit Pop as well. And I mean, I'm <laughs> once again, this is recommendation corner, not the meat. You might hear these vocals and think, yeah, no fucking way. But if you have like any sort of taste for it, uh, you know, this is gonna be something like I think they're a band that's growing in very interesting ways, and also bringing things full circle. Uh, I believe the singer of this band proposed to kiss sippy on stage at fest, uh, back in the day, they were together, <laughs> wow. for, like they're not together anymore, unfortunately, but yeah, that was like one of, that was like, uh, you know, peak Gainesville fest, uh, the, like those two getting, I believe, engaged on stage, they're not together anymore, but, uh, wow. Yeah. Bringing it full circle. There is a, we, we, we plan this stuff out. We, we we are like next level forty chessing this episode's uh, trajectory.
0: So uh, I'm going to go in the opposite direction for my recommendation, as I often do yes. in uh, this this segment of the episode. I want to talk about a record called "Warping All by Yourself" by a group called Wet Tuna. Hmm. This is a project spearheaded by a guy named Matt Valentine, who's one of the modern masterminds of that little genre we like to call indie jam, the intersection of indie rock and jam band music. Matt Valentine is probably best known for the duo MV and EE. There's tons of releases that uh, he's put out under that moniker. But I've been really into Wet Tuna lately. Uh, This is the third album uh, that he's put out under that band. And... uh, it has some of the expected influences that you would uh, you know, anticipate. You know, there's like a little bit of Grateful Dead influence. There's some sort of spacey, psychedelic rock in there. But there's also been a real element of like 70s funk and jazz fusion influence in the music that really comes to the fore on this latest record. Uh, there's a song on here called Sweet Chump Change, which is a song I've been listening to a lot uh over the past week and it's a song that like if you aren't into this kind of music i think it's a pretty accessible song it, it it's definitely in that like herbie hancock don cherry you know sort of songs in the key of life era stevie wonder uh. type vein but again with like kind of like a blurry drugged out psychedelic vibe uh and he really leans on that throughout the record as, as the record progresses. It gets a little less funky and, and a little weirder and more psychedelic. Mm. But that combination, again, of like sort of like a Grateful Dead aesthetic and like jazz fusion, I just think that's like a really cool sound. And uh, this is like a really great headphone record. Mm. There's a lot of interesting sounds on it. Uh, but when it gets a little too trippy, he's somehow able to pull it back into like a really catchy melody or a really good groove. And it's just a really good balance, I think, between sort of experimentation and and pop accessibility so again the record is called warping all by yourself it's by wet tuna definitely check that out
1: i am dying to hear a band that somehow like threads the needle between like prince daddy and the hyena and wet tuna like there's a band, like indie will like birth a band that somehow draws on both that'd be amazing
0: that's your challenge out there bands. <laughs> yeah. get
1: going on that
0: uh we've now reached the end of our episode here at Indiecast, but we'll be back next week with more news and reviews and hashing out trends See ya. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.